Let's get moving here. Um, hopefully you worked through some of these questions. And uh, let me just ask the question uh, kind of by way of summary here. How would you describe a person who is faith-filled or someone who's filled with faith? What might characterize their lives or what adjectives might you use to describe someone that is faith-filled? Yeah. Okay, optimistic. And hopefully that optimism is founded in their belief in the Lord, right? That the Lord is in control. So therefore they can view things through that lens. Yes. Patient. Okay, they can endure, right? And, and what trials may come. There's patience there and endurance. What else? Yep. Okay, obedient, right? Sometimes it's difficult to be obedient um, and obey when we don't understand why maybe something is necessary. But faith, belief... Trust in the Lord uh, allows us oftentimes to be obedient even when we don't even understand maybe why we need to be obedient. Okay, trust in the Bible, uh, relying in dependence upon the word of God, that the word of God is truth and the belief in the word of God is truth. So a trust in the Bible, which leads to a following of it. Yep. Okay, someone who's a strong Christian, someone who's a strong believer in that they're, they're firm in their faith. Um, they're not easily pushed around, maybe, is the way we can put it, as it relates to their belief in Christ. These are good. What else? They're utilizing spiritual gifts. Okay, so he walks the walk, not just talks the talk, right? Uh, there's, there's an implementing of what we say we believe in action. That's good, yeah. There's someone over here had her hand up. I saw Peaceful, okay. There's a peace that comes with trust in God and faith and belief in God. There was someone in the back I keep seeing a hand. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Okay, so someone who is not overly anxious, worried, uh, doesn't get flustered maybe is the word to put it, about things that are happening around us. Um, as some do, and allow it to, in some ways, control, right? Control our thinking, and, and sometimes even paralyze people in their thinking and their ability to live because of the fear of, of what's happening around them. Um, I think all of these things are true when it comes to an understanding of someone who has uh, faith, who is faith-filled. Um, and as we've been in this, the, the book of Daniel, I hope that that's been something that's been challenging to you as it has been to me about these individuals in the book of Daniel that are faith-filled or, or that have great faith in the Lord. And so you can turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to continue on in this, this chapter, uh, and I'm going to read a good portion of it here to get us current and caught up in case you weren't here last week or you forgot a little bit of last week to set the tone. We're not going to spend a great deal of time with the backdrop because we did that last week, but I at least want to get us up to speed. But I first want to read to you, and you can stay in Daniel 6, but I want to read to you what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And it goes on in, the, in this chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is known as the great hall of faith chapter, to speak about all of these individuals that through by faith saw God work in mighty ways. By faith, much was accomplished. By faith, all of these things took place that were just these miraculous, marvelous, amazing things where God was glorified by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so that definition of faith that's given, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith really is as though, even though we can't see, touch, or hold something, it's as though we actually are, right? We so firmly believe, we so firmly are confident in, we so firmly have peace, trust, conviction in what we know about our God that even though necessarily we can't hold it or see it in our hands, it's as though we can. That's how, how firm the conviction is we have about the God that we serve. And so it's by faith that so many great things have happened that we see in God's word. And, and I think that's the same here as we're in Daniel chapter 6. And so as we continue on the study, I, I want to pick up 
In Daniel 6, I want to jump back to verse 1. We already covered the first uh, 15 verses uh, last week, but I, I want to pick up there um, in Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Just read this to get us current, and then we'll, we'll really dive in for the study tonight uh, for the latter part of the chapter. But it says this for chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so the king might suffer no loss. This Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So remember last week, Daniel, new king, King Darius, Darius the Mede came in, the Medo-Persian army came and conquered in Babylon, uh, the King Darius um, takes over. Daniel is set as one of the three governors or leaders over the 120 satraps that are over all of the land of the, of the, of the Persians here. And, and so Daniel is in a pretty significant position of authority and power. And it says in the passage that Daniel, verse 3, became distinguished above everybody else. So that the king had it in his mind to make Daniel basically second in charge. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's what's happening. That's what started really some controversy and some um, really some troubling things to start to, uh, to unfold with the other leaders within the king's kingdom. Verse 4, when the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what was their response when they found out the king was going to put Daniel in charge of everything? We got to get rid of Daniel, right? We got to find fault with Daniel. So initially... Their desire was to find fault with Daniel in regards to fault with him with his governing in the kingdom. Because if they could find a reason to have fault with Daniel as it relates to his service to the king, as it relates to his um, integrity with what he was put in charge of, then they can get him out of there quickly, right? So they sought to find something against Daniel. But here's what happened when they went and did their digging when they went and to see if he had any skeletons in the closet, when they looked through all of his affairs and all of his dealings, all of his governing, when they looked at everything Daniel did, they could find nothing, nothing to fault Daniel with as it relates to his role in king, the king's kingdom. Nothing. And so they came to this conclusion. They said, well, listen, we will not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And again, we stopped there and said, man, what a marvelous testimony Daniel had, isn't it? That, that those that were these evil men that were out to destroy Daniel, that were corrupt, that were conspiring against Daniel, would come to the conclusion that the only way they could seek to find fault with Daniel would not be through corruption, would not be because Daniel was you know, not fulfilling the role he was called to fulfill. The only way they could find fault against Daniel is if they found it in regards to his relationship with his God. So what did they do? Well, they went to the king. It says, The high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Well, this is a big lie because not all of them agreed to this. They said all of the king's governors and princes, everybody's agreed to this. Daniel didn't agree to this, right? So they lied to the king. They basically buttered up the king. King Darius, live forever. You're the greatest. Here's what we're going to do. And what did they do? They were petitioning the king basically to be God for 30 days. That no one could pray to any other God or man but to King Darius or they would be cast into a den of lions. And so the king heard this. It says, verse 8, the king... I'm sorry, verse 8, it says, Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Um, they duped the king. Okay, so you see this conspiracy, all for the purpose of finding fault with Daniel. They knew that they would find fault with Daniel in regards to his commitment and relationship to his God. And so King Darius signs this injunction, 
uh, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be revoked. Again, uh, this was not an absolute monarchy where the king had authority to revoke anything that he put into practice like Nebuchadnezzar could. He couldn't change this. This was the law. And so he couldn't just overrule it himself. It was put into law. It was one of permanence, and he would be stuck. And we're going to see that in a second. It says, when Daniel knew the document, verse 10, was signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees there three times a day. He prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew what they were going to find when they went to Daniel's house. They fully expected that they would find Daniel violating, violating the command of the king. That's why they had the king write the decree to begin with. They were so confident that Daniel would still be faithful in his prayers to his God that with 100% certainty, they were willing basically to bank their lives on this. Can you imagine if, if the king got wind of what they were trying to accomplish or that if Daniel remained in a position of power, if they didn't think Daniel would be out of there and Daniel would be put over all of them, their time would be coming to an end, I'm sure, in their mind. But they were banking on 100% Daniel would remain faithful. And so they showed up to his house fully expecting to find Daniel doing what Daniel was doing, praying to his God. Then they came near and said, verse 12, before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. They, they targeted Daniel from the get-go, right? Their, their plan worked. They tell the king, Daniel... The guy that you want to put in charge of the whole kingdom next to you pays no attention to you. He has no regard for you because he still continues to pray to his God. Verse 14, And the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king. Again, the whole by agreement, by agreement, by agreement. You see how much there is a unity amongst these evil men to want to destroy this servant of God. There's a great unity in that, isn't there? And it says, they came again to the king. Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you we stopped there last week and so here here we are the plan worked Daniel was found guilty of his service and prayer to his God as he always had been and the king's hands were completely tied to do anything about this with this Daniel as they referenced him and Daniel would be thrown into the den of lions I want to highlight verse 16. May your God, the king says to Daniel, whom you serve continually, deliver you. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. I want you to process this with me for a minute, man. Um, not only did the evil men with complete certainty know Daniel as a man of faith in his God, a man who was committed and was unshakable in his commitment to his God. He was known by that same standard by the king. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Um, there's great challenge just in that. Would it be said of you and I? We can find no fault against unless it is in regards to our relationship with our God. Would it be said of us that we serve our God continually at all times? Is that what we'd be known for? Is that what we would be known as? Servants continually 
of the Most High God, whom we say we love and believe in. Um, that alone is challenge enough, isn't it, for us to go from here and think, holy cow, like, is that what I would be known as? Is that what I would be marked by? My faith, belief, trust, confidence, and service to my God continually. That's what Daniel was known for. That's what Daniel was known as. Now, here's what I would find very interesting about the story of Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, others that the Bible speaks about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. They were left with a choice. They were left with a choice. In the case of Daniel, Daniel was left with a choice. He could either continue, as was his custom from early days, to in commitment and trust pray to his God, openly pray to his God, Counting the cost, recognizing that this could cost me my life, but I will be unshakable in my commitment to the Lord. Daniel very easily could have just stopped it. He could have. He could have just said, I'm going to pray privately. He could have. But if Daniel would have chosen to do that, can you imagine if these men who had such confidence in Daniel that Daniel would not abandon his commitment to his God showed up at Daniel's door fully expecting to see Daniel praying, and that wasn't happening. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if Daniel was about to be thrown into the lion's den, and the king, who believes that Daniel served his God continually, Daniel says, oh, hold up, king, uh, I'm done. I won't pray anymore to, to my God. The testimony that that would have been of, of Daniel with his God. Thankfully, we don't read that's what happened here, right? But here's the question. What about you and I? Aren't we faced with this same type, not with the same repercussions, but same type of decision-making day in and day out with the people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out, whether at work, in our families, relationships, with the question of will we serve, honor, obey our God, or will we not? What will we be known as? What are we known as? What's true of our lives? I don't think it'd be overstated. I don't think we can overstate it. The significance of the statement of the king, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Let's pick up there now in verse 17. It says, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This is a king who was in just complete turmoil over what was taking place. Now, as we look at this passage tonight, I just want to point out a few truths concerning uh, and understandings concerning faith, concerning trials that come and faith that God expects us to have in the midst of those trials. So the first point I want to make is this. Sometimes God will allow us to suffer as his children because that is what will bring him the most glory. Okay, I want us to understand that tonight. Sometimes God will allow us to suffer as his children because that is what will bring him the most glory. If you look at this passage in verses 17 and 18, Daniel was praying to his God. He was going to be thrown into the den of lions. And guess what? Right when Daniel was about to be thrown into the den of lions, God didn't stop everything from happening at that point. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Daniel would find himself thrown into a den of lions because of his faith. Because of his commitment to the Lord and the pursuits of evil men to destroy him and to destroy all that Daniel stood for, he would be thrown into a den of lions. And here's where I think this is important for us to understand. Because a lot of times we have this perspective that if we just have enough faith, no bad thing will ever come our way. If we just act in faith, nothing bad will happen in our lives. No tragedy no difficulty, no trials, no persecutions, no hardships, if we just have enough faith. Listen, there's a very prominent teaching that's going around today within the prosperity gospel is that if you just have enough faith, if you just believe enough, if you just claim it enough, if you just speak it into existence, if you truly believe it, it will happen for you. That's not what God's word says. 
God's word does not promise to the believer in Jesus Christ. God's word does not promise to the one who has faith and belief in him a smooth, easy, hardship-free life. That's not what God promises. And here's what's interesting is that Daniel is going to go through this trial and he's going to literally be thrown into a den of lions because that is what ultimately is going to bring God the most glory through Daniel's life. And sometimes we don't like to think about that, right? Sometimes that's the farthest thing from our desires. Like, Lord, like, you could, like, make this not happen right now. I mean, if I'm Daniel, I don't, Daniel was a man of faith, probably of much greater faith than I. Because if I'm there and I'm praying, I'm thinking, like, ha, wait till these guys see this. You can't touch me, right? Like, no, Daniel knew what would happen. He heard about the decree and it says he went back to his home. He got on his knees and he prayed as he always did. But wouldn't some of us be guilty as we're praying and they're there watching and we're like, Lord, I know you're not going to allow anything bad to happen to me because I'm serving you. And then they come knocking on Daniel's door and they're like, Daniel, let's go. Well, surely the king likes me, right? And I'm serving God. I have faith in my God. God, I've been uncompromising my faith in you. Daniel, you're going to be throwing a den of lions. Right, like the, the king's got my back. No, he doesn't. He can't do anything about it. Where would we be at on that? Just up until the point of about to be thrown in the lion's den. Okay, Lord, anytime you want to intervene, go ahead. And the Lord didn't. He didn't stop it. Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Sometimes God allows us as his children to endure suffering. Because that is what ultimately will bring him the most glory. And I think sometimes we can confuse the glory of God and the prominence and importance of the glory of God. We can confuse that as less of a priority than our personal physical good. Anytime we begin to elevate our personal physical good or personal physical comfort above the glory of God, we are in error. Because yes, God is concerned for our good before him. But God is desirous of his glory. <laughs> and so I think sometimes we stand, tend to think that our good and God's glory are on equal footing as it relates to priorities in our lives. Our physical good is not of the same value of the glory of God. And we see that not only in Daniel's life. If you jump back to chapter 3 in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. Chapter 3 verses 13 to 15 that we already looked at. Listen to what it says in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Nebuchadnezzar found out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to his image. So it says, in furious rage, he commanded them to be brought to him. They brought them before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true that you've not bowed down to worship these things? If you do bow down, good. But if not, you're going to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And guess what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were literally thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. The furnace didn't falter. The fire didn't go out. No one stopped it from happening. God allowed them to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Why? Because God was going to be exalted and receive the greatest glory through what was going to happen through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. And we're going to see tonight that God was going to be most glorified as Daniel would endure this hardship of being thrown into a den of lions. Could God have stopped that from happening? A thousand percent he could have stopped it from happening. He is God. But he didn't. He allowed Daniel to go through this for his glory. And sometimes God will allow us to suffer because it's what will bring him the most glory. But do you realize, and we have to understand this, and this is where we must have faith to believe this, that all things work together for good to those that love God. That's not meaning comfort. That's not meaning physical prosperity and blessing. That means that God is working all things out for his glory, which happens to be our good. His glory and receiving the most glory is always what is good and best for you and I as his children. And we have to trust him in that. Sometimes... He allows these things because that's what will bring him the most glory. Number two, maintaining faith 
even in the midst of suffering, clearly shows the authenticity of our belief. Maintaining faith even in the midst of suffering clearly shows the authenticity of our belief. Look at verses 19 and 20. Um, The king all night isn't sleeping, right? He can't be comforted. There's no comfort for him. He's not finding sleep. He's restless. He's trying to figure out anything he could do leading up to it to save Daniel. The deed's done. Daniel's in the lion's den, and the king is just beside himself. It says, at break of day, verse 19, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. When I read this, what I thought about was I thought about my kids on Christmas morning from a positive perspective. Do you understand what it's like when something major is happening in the morning and you cannot sleep because all you're consumed with is getting to that location in the morning? As a kid, I remember going to bed at night and I could not wait for morning to come. I, I couldn't sleep because I was so excited to go downstairs and see what was underneath the Christmas tree, what presents were going to be there as a young kid. It, that's all I thought about. It consumed me. When I would try to go to bed at night, eventually I would fall asleep because I was just so tired trying to stay awake but couldn't. And when morning came, I got up and I was just making a V-line to get downstairs to see what presents were there. The king's up all night. It says, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He does not know what he's going to find. I mean, again, this is something that I feel like can't be, it's easy to read this and separate ourselves from this scenario because we, we sometimes can separate that this is a real vent. If you're, if you're the king, if you're King Darius, and you care for and hold Daniel in the highest esteem of anybody in your kingdom, if you care for Daniel so greatly, if you trust this man so greatly, if you're so impressed with this man so greatly that you're willing to put him as the second person in your kingdom. The relationship that King Darius had with Daniel and the care, love, um, and trust that he had in Daniel, I don't think can be overstated. Here he is, the most powerful person in the kingdom, the king who was completely helpless to help Daniel, who he cared for greatly, And he has to give the order for Daniel to be thrown into a den of lions. And the king, as he's parting, says, Daniel, may the God whom you serve continually deliver you. That's what he says to him. And the king's stirring all night long. I don't know what kind of terrorizing thoughts he must have had that night thinking about what was happening to Daniel as Daniel was thrown into that den of lions. I can tell you the king was in turmoil. The enemies of Daniel and of God probably were partying. They were probably just, we did it. Maybe even having discussions about who's going to be the greatest. They did it. And so morning comes, the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Men maintaining faith, even in the midst of suffering, clearly shows the authenticity of our belief. Verse 20, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Again, don't miss this. This says the king would cry out in a tone of anguish. This is the king. The king, the most powerful man in this land. In the morning is finding his way to this den of lions where this lawbreaker of the king's order was thrown the night before, and in anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Don't miss, what is the statement he makes again? Has your God whom you serve continually? Don't miss this. King Darius already believed that Daniel served as God continued. You know what solidified that to an even greater extent in his mind, although it didn't need to be solidified? Was that Daniel was willing to be thrown into a den of lions rather than go back on his commitment to his God. It's incredible. And I don't want to be too dramatic about this, but can you imagine the the cry and tone of anguish The king cried out to Daniel in a tone of anguish. 
Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I mean, this is just a state of hopelessness, anguish, fear, worry, and he cries out, has your God delivered you? Now, I don't know how long it took for a response to come from that den. I don't know. I don't know if Daniel was like sleeping, like chilling in there with the lions. I don't know if they were like, you know, warming him because it wouldn't be beyond our God to do that too. But can you imagine being the king, crying out and waiting and listening and hearing back? Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I love that that's what he said. O king, live forever. What would you have said to the guy that threw you into the den of lions? Right? What words would come to your mind to tell the king? I mean, again, this is the character of Daniel, isn't it? This is the the character and loyalty and trust of Daniel. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. If this was a movie that we were watching, this is the moment if you're watching this in the movie theater where everybody just breaks out into applause. This is the moment that if you're watching this in a movie that you, and you've not seen or don't know the outcome yet, that you're on the edge of your seat because everything has built to this point. The king, early in the morning, running to that, to, or to that, to that den in anguish, crying out in anguish. Daniel, beside himself, he's weakened, he is worried, he is distraught. Has your God, whom you serve, continually delivered you? Are you alive? Are you there? What's left of you? Silence. And everybody's listening, and everybody's watching, and no doubt, those others that like wanted all this to be done, they thought this was over. They thought the game was over. They thought the match was done, right? They're, they were probably all, who knows, they might just be in a drunken stupor still that morning. But the king's there, and he's listening. And can you imagine sitting on the edge of your seat if you know what was happening? You're like, what's going to happen? What's, what takes place? And you hear, O king, the voice of Daniel. <laughs> o king, live forever. My God has shut the mouths of these lions. That's incredible. I mean, if you, if you read that, I mean, we take for granted, I think, that we know this story. <laughs> that is an incredible statement. My God has shut the mouths. Listen, what God do you know that it can be said he shuts the mouths of lions but our God? What God does that? There is no God other than our God. There is no God that can do what our God does because no other God exists. And Daniel says, my God has shut the mouths of my lions. Listen, number three here, with great faith comes great and mighty works of God. With great faith comes great and mighty works of God. Listen, man, I don't know how many of you are in this category, but there are so many believers in Jesus Christ, so many Christians that say, I just want to see God, show up and work and do amazing, mighty things. Can I tell you that with great faith comes great and mighty works of God? And when we, as men of faith, live and step out in faith, then we can watch and expect that the great and mighty working of God will be on display in our lives. And some of us are so desirous of seeing God work in amazing, mighty ways and we're expecting him to do that, but he's not doing that. He's not doing that in our lives. Why? I would ask the question, how's your faith? Because with great faith comes great and mighty works of God. I love verses 21 to 23. 
Daniel says that to the king, I've done no harm to you. I have been blameless before my God. Verse 23, the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Listen, this is what's so amazing and miraculous about this. Not only was Daniel alive, but he was untouched. It says there was no harm, no harm found on him. Why? Look what it says. Why? Because he what? He trusted in his God. He trusted in his God. No harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. With great faith comes great and mighty works of God. Works that only God can do. With great faith comes great and mighty works of God. Hebrews chapter 11, if you've not read that chapter, read that chapter that says this phrase over and over again. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. The glory is not given to the individual. The glory is always given to our God. But do you realize the working of God is so often in conjunction with great faith? The great working of God is so often in conjunction with great faith. And the faith that we have in God, we can take no credit for. We can take no credit for because it's only by him and through him that our faith in him even exists. God receives all of the glory for that. I immediately thought of chapter 3, verses 23 to 27. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in that fiery furnace, it says when they were taken out of the fiery furnace, the fire had not had any power over their bodies. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Think of that. Not even the smell of fire was on these men. That's what I thought of when I read what it says about Daniel. No kind of harm was found on him at all. This guy just spent the night with lions whose purpose for being in that den was to maul and kill people that were thrown into it. They knew what they were supposed to do. That's what they did well. That's why they were there. This guy just spent the night with lions and there was not a single harm done to him. Not a single harm was found on him, it says. With great faith comes great and mighty works of God. Number four, great and mighty works of God leads to great and exclusive glory to God. Great and mighty works of God leads to great and exclusive glory to God. Verses 25 to 28, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples. Now, I don't want to skip over verse 24 because first, let me just tell you what happened to these guys that were conspiring against Daniel. So the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Listen, I don't believe that this is just included because God just wanted to include the fact that all these people were just devoured. I think it's significant that this makes a point. The same lions that were in that den that did not touch Daniel the whole night are the same lions that the moment these people were thrown before they even hit the floor were completely demolished and crushed by these same lions. Because some people are like, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry. Maybe they were just nice lions. Maybe they were tame lions. Maybe they just didn't want to eat people. No, it's the same lions with a lot more people being thrown into that den, and they were just completely mauled. Our God shut the mouths of those lions. Our God shut the mouths of those lions because Daniel trusted in his God. Verses 25 to 28, great and mighty works of God leads the great and exclusive glory to God. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Notice he doesn't say they are to f f uh, tremble and fear before Daniel. Not what he says. They are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. 
process that for a minute. Isn't that incredible? They are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Can you imagine if someone asks the question, hey, tell me about your God. Tell me about your God. My God is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That is our God. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's the God that we serve. And yet, why is it in the current culture we find ourselves living in that too often in our actions, in our words, and maybe more often in our silence, what we say we believe about the God whom we serve is something so different than how we live. Do we believe that our God is the living God? That our God is the living God enduring forever? That of his kingdom there will be no end and his kingdom shall never be destroyed? That our God delivers and our God rescues? That our God works signs and our God works wonders? That our God has the power to shut the mouths of lions And to deliver us from whatever it is that comes our way. Our God has the power and authority to do that. Do we believe in that God? And if we do, why do our actions and words and so often our silence say something entirely different in the world in which we find ourselves living? We so often want to see God do great and mighty works. And yet we are so unwilling to act in faith in that powerful God in whom we say we believe. We are so often so guilty of acting and responding in every other way than in the way of faith. We are very quick, aren't we men, to attribute to God all the power and all of the majesty and all of the ability and all of the glory and so slow to respond in action to that belief. And yet we want to see God work. Great and mighty works of God lead to exclusive glory to God. Daniel said, my God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless. Daniel was taken up out of the den. No harm was found on him. With great faith comes great and mighty works of God. Great and mighty works of God lead to great and exclusive glory to God. Men, I want to challenge us as we conclude this series. I want to challenge us to be faith-filled even in the midst of a culture of evil and sin. I want to challenge us, men, to be faith-filled even when our enemies around us want to destroy us. Be faith-filled even when the suffering may be great. Be faith-filled even when all hope might seem to be lost. It is not because we hope in our eternal God. Be men of faith. Be men of honor to our God. Be men of faith who desire glory to God even over our own good. Can I challenge you with that tonight as I challenge myself with that? Might we be more desirous of the glory of God than we are even our own good? Might we be more desirous for the glory to go to God than we are for our physical well-being? Might we be of greater concern for the glory of God than for our own good? In order to be men of faith in the midst of a collapsing culture, we need to find our faith securely resting on the one who is unchanging. Our circumstances will change. Our friendships will change. Our jobs will change. Our culture will change. Laws will change. 
people will change. Our wealth or lack thereof will change. Our physical health and well-being will change. Families will change. People change. Our God does not change. He is forever faithful. Might we be faithful. Might we be set and resolved to bring God glory no matter what may come. How do we stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture? That's the question. How do we stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture that we find ourselves living in today? This is what we covered over the last 11 weeks. Be clear. Be clear about why we're here and who we're here for. Not ourselves, but for God. For the glory of God. Be resolute. Be resolute. Resolute in our commitment. Resolute in our stance. Be resolute. Do not be swayed. Be ready. Be ready not only to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, but be ready, if it may come to it, to suffer for the name of Christ. Standing firm in the midst of a collapsing culture. Be vulnerable. Vulnerable to one another and to the leading of the Spirit of God in our lives. Allowing Him to show and lead as He would show and lead. Even when it may prove costly. Be separate. Separate from the world and the evil that is in the world. Separate from the lack of morals and values that is in the world. Separate from those that not only hate God, but as a believer in Christ, they will hate you. Jesus said this. If the world hates me, it will hate you. Be separate from the evil and sin that is in the world. But be real. Be real. Be real about the cost. Be real about what is in the world. Be real about who we are, who God is, and who our enemy is. Be real. Be confident, not in ourselves, but in our God. Be confident that our God is able to to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Be confident that the one that knows us, created us, and saved us never leaves us or forsakes us. Be confident in the God that we serve, trusting in him that if he is for us, who could be against us? Be confident in him. Be truthful. Speak the truth even when it's not popular or acceptable to people. Speak the truth. The most unloving, unkind thing we can do is allow someone to believe that their sin is okay. The most unloving or unkind thing we can do is allow people to believe that everybody is just okay with God and that there's not coming a day of wrath. It's convenient. It allows for smoother living and relationship with people, but it's the most unloving thing we can do. Be truthful. Be humble. Guys, listen, I know you know this, but it's good to repeat it sometimes. It's not about us. It's not about us. Nothing we do is for our own glory as a servant of Jesus Christ. It's for him. It's that he might be glorified, whether by life or by death. In humility we serve, even as Christ served. Be holy. Be holy. Consecrated, set apart for the Lord's use. Like our God, holy as our God is holy, and be faith-filled. Trust. Trust our God. Even when people think it's ridiculous, trust our God. The God that shuts the mouths of lions. The God that would deliver David out of the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear. Trust. Be faith-filled. In the God, the true living God that we serve. The one that would raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And who has raised us up as well. How do we stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture? Everything goes back to the glory of our great God. I wonder tonight... What are we most concerned and occupied with as servants of the Most High God? Ourselves, our glory and our good, or the glory of our great God? Stand firm 
Stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture for the glory of God. And watch what our God does. He will do what only our God can do. And we should rejoice in that, whatever may come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for, Lord, just the inspirational story of Daniel. Uh, Here, a man who served you faithfully his entire life. would be willing to endure, if necessary, God being torn limb from limb by lions rather than compromise on his faith, trust, and service to you. For most of us, we can't even imagine being put in a scenario like that. And yet, Lord, you have given us your spirit You've given us your word. You've given us the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. You've empowered us that should we be put in that same situation, Lord, not on our own strength or our own resolve, but through the strength that you can give, that we too would stand firm for your glory. I pray that we wouldn't wait until being put in those kinds of complete, extreme situations to stand firmly for your glory. That, God, we would faithfully stand for your glory even in the midst of our jobs, our coworkers, our families, our neighbors, our friends. God, that we would be found faithful standing firm when everyone else is compromising around us. That, God, even when it might mean we'll be less liked, less included, excluded, punished, reprimanded. It might mean that difficulty or hardship will come. I pray that our commitment to you and your glory would be greater. I pray that as men that call ourselves followers of Christ, as men who claim to have faith in the one true living God, that we as men would stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture for the glory of God and that we would see you show up and work, God, in ways that only you can. And as a result of that, you would receive the greatest glory because it's you who are working. You who are working according to your good pleasure for our good and for your glory. And so God, help us to be men that stand on faith in the midst of a culture that is collapsing around us. Please use us, empower us, give us the boldness and wisdom to live for you, for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, I do want to thank you for being so committed to being here on Thursday nights. I hope you've been challenged and encouraged these last 11 weeks. And again, thank you for uh, just being such a great Uh, group of men to come together and study together. You don't know how much of an encouragement you have been to one another, like I do, because I hear from so many different men that have come here on Thursday, how much of a blessing it's been for them to be at your tables, to hear you guys interacting together, to be sharpened by each other, to be praying for each other. You guys have been a blessing to one another more than I think you know. And so please uh, don't take that for granted. Come back when we get back started. Seek to be an encouragement to each other between now and then. Don't quit meeting together. Grab a bite to eat together. Get coffee together. Sharpen one another in the months ahead. And stay committed to one another for the glory of our great God. So have a great night. Good evening. And Maranatha. Maranatha.